Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Passing Dimes. This guest became highly recommended from his role in the NBVL, but he's got a lot more to tell. So he's played pro in Sweden and Germany. He attended Mount Royal and the U of A, where he was a Golden Bear and won a 2014 National Championship. He was a member of our junior national team, and he's the Calgary director of the CVL. So please welcome to the show, Jaron Wheeler. Thanks for doing this, man. Yeah, no problem, Josh. Thanks for having me. So I guess the, the first thing I want to talk about is the more I learn about Alberta is you growing up in Calgary, how did you want to go to U of A? Was, was it ever an option to go be a dino or did you want to be a golden bear as long as you could remember? Yeah, I mean, we, uh, when I was growing up, we, I was trying to figure out which university I wanted to go to. Um, and to be honest with you, growing up, my, both my parents played on UBC and were Thunderbirds. And so I was kind of, almost thinking about going there just because I wanted to carry on the, the tradition of my parents. Um, but then the recruiting process kind of started and, uh, talked to a couple different places. Um, and UFC was definitely one of them. Sat down with Rod. Um, and then I also sat down, went up to U of A and sat with Terry. Um, and then I actually kind of made most of my decisions, uh, before, um, Richard Schick at the time at UBC contacted me, so we didn't really think that they were interested until after I made my decision. So um, the biggest thing for me was trying to figure out where I could develop and grow and, and play national team and play on play pro. That was kind of the main thing, and obviously which had the good schooling. And, uh, yeah, Jay Blankenau and Kieran had both just gone into their third years at UFC. Um, so that was a big reason why I didn't want to go to UFC was because, uh, yeah, those are two amazing setters and uh, didn't really want to be a, a third guy for them, um, at least the first year and the first couple of years they were still there. Um, and U of A had an amazing program, um, national titles and national team players on their team. So at the time when I was in grade 12, it was like, you know, Thomas Yarmok, Ben Saxton, um, Jason Duraco. All those guys that were uh, great players, so I wanted to go uh, go there. And uh, I actually decided to go to Mount Royal first because they had, uh, the year out of high school, they had Mike Duraco um, starting up there setting and uh, Tanner Nault, and he was in his fourth year when I was still in high school. So they kind of had um, two great setters. Um, so it was kind of a decision for me if I wanted to stay close to home and play and start on a ACAC team to get that experience. Um, and then wait out Mike Duraco to graduate and then kind of fill his spot. Yeah. When we had a friend of the show, Brock Davidock, he mentioned that less athletes are choosing to go to college than university, mostly based on, um, academics. But if you're making a volleyball decision, it seems to be a smart one. So how did you find it from an athlete's perspective that that worked out not only for playing time, but did you find that your, your credits transferred and you weren't necessarily behind in your academics either by doing a, a year of college and then going to university? Yeah. So that's a good question. So basically, I mean, it's been it's been pretty pretty interesting the last couple of years how the college recruits. Um, you know, so it's such a norm um, when I was in the club to get some playing experience um, at college and then work your way up to university. I mean, thinking about my U of A route, you know, like guys like Brock, guys like big one was Dallas Sunius and Cundy and all those guys. They were having amazing years in Red Deer and then moving up afterwards. And I think I was kind of the last, like, the last couple of years of that. Um, like, after I went up to U of A, I think that's kind of when that trend, new trend started. Um, because our, 
our ACAC year was was super fun, and it was a really really strong year um, as well. We went to like university preseason tournaments in Regina and stuff, and and were very competitive with all the the CIS schools at the time. I mean, we had uh, like the state team was end up winning, and they were really strong with with like Kenny Rowerta, Justin Kilb, and all those kind of guys. And then the Red Deer team had Mitch Irvin, who was eventually Player of the Year for CCAA, and then. CIS after that so that Red Deer team was really strong as well um, Taylor Hunt and those guys so so yeah so I wanted I knew I wanted to make it to up to U Sports so basically um, I took all the courses at Mount Royal um, and made sure through the student advisory that those transferred so I made sure that that was kind of the plan going in and Sean Sky, the coach at Mount Royal who was great too in the first year. He he knew the whole year that that was kind of the plan. So awesome, awesome. So what was it like when you got on campus? Because you mentioned uh, Ben Saxton, who we've had on the show a couple times, talking about how strong that U of A team was. So when you arrived, did a bunch of them cycle out, or was the leadership still kind of left behind from that group? Um, yeah, the levels. Hey, but the level was really high. But I was pissed because I was supposed to be on that team with Ben and, and Jason Duraco, but right when I came in, they left, um, and they had their eligibility still, so <laughs> I was, like, really looking forward to playing with Jason and, like, with Ben. I was like, oh, this is going to be dope. Like, we're, like, I'm just an 18-year-old, 19-year-old kid coming up, and then they are too cool and have to go play pro and national team and beach and stuff, but... <laughs> I haven't, I haven't held that against them, though, don't worry. But, uh, yeah, I mean, the team when I was up there was still really strong. Um, and we had a great year, our first year at U of A. Um, they, we had a really strong group of fifth years. Um, and it was kind of all the guys that, that Ben and uh, Thomas Jarmok and Tim Gourlay and uh, all those guys, um, like Mike, Mike Duraco, those guys, they kind of developed that whole group, and we had super strong guys in, like, Spencer Leisky, Tanner Nault. Um, we had, like, Simon Lister, all that kind of stuff. They they were good players, and they kind of – oh, Justin Murda, of course. It's, like, one of my good friends. It's probably because I forgot him. Uh, but, yeah, like, those guys were really, really strong, and they supplemented with a couple of really good guys that came in in my second year. So, like, the outsides were – or Jay Olmstead's first year starting and, and Mitch Irvin transferred from Red Deer the same year I did. Um, so it was a really good combo of a couple young guys um, and a solid group of fifth years. So that first year in was um, was a really good experience for sure. And how do you think Terry and the other coaching staff managed at that time? Because you just name-dropped a bunch of people, right? So obviously a very strong program and only six or seven guys are playing. So how do you stay engaged in practice? Are guys just battling for spots the whole year? Or kind of what's – give us a behind-the-scenes look at what a practice looks like and once the season starts. Yeah, so I mean, I think it's a dream for a coach to have in terms of developing the culture where you're still having good players coming in um, that could be starters somewhere else. I mean, that's what – trinity's doing right now um they have great players on the bench right and that's kind of how you want to build your program and and i think the mindset at least of mine i can only really speak from my own mindset but um i wanted to be a professional volleyball player and the people in the past you know you have to sit a year um or two to kind of get up to that level um and we were super prepared to do that um and the other, the other big thing too was 
was the, which was a huge recruiting tool was that honestly our practices were more competitive than um, half the games we played um, with all those guys kind of on the floor like we had our Thursday Wednesday practices gameplay was just super fun I mean we we're playing some great volleyball so so that was a big that was a big motivator I mean you can't I mean if you don't come and show up one day that other side is going to absolutely throttle you so you got to make sure that you uh, bring your A game and you want to get to that point eventually when you get your chance on the court. So that was kind of the culture that we had. And, um, yeah, I mean, we were, we were in it every year, so it kind of paid off too. So looking back, what stands out in your mind as far as not only developing as a player but as a leader? So you come in as a, as a college transfer after having a good year of college. You eventually become like a team captain. You guys win a national championship. So as you look back at your time at U of A, what kind of stands out as – how do you become a leader in that environment? How does Terry or Brock or the other coaches really help develop not only volleyball skills, but leadership and life skills? That's good. Actually, just before Josh, I, I remember to, I can tell one little, one little story about, uh, about that second side when I was at U of A. Yeah. So basically we had those competitive practices and we, I remember we had a couple of guys on our side that were fifth year guys that um, got some, some playing time, but weren't on the court. Um, all the time and like uh, guys like Chris Womack and uh, Matt Carrick and we like had our own our like whole mission in practice was to like make the other team look bad like the starting <laughs> side and we called our, <laughs> got our called our side team death and so we like didn't really celebrate very loud or anything we just had this vibe of like all we want to do is make them frustrated because they're supposed to be the starting side supposed to be winning and stuff like that so I remember that was a big motivator, just a fun, obviously it was all, all in good fun with them and they appreciated it at, at the end of practice after they were upset. But um, the same thing happened when we were winning in, in my fifth year too. Like the other side would just get so fired up um, about taking some sets off us and stuff like that in, in practice. So that was a really cool culture too. And that's I me mean, when we coach now, it's we try and tell the, tell either side, doesn't matter if you're starting or not, you're just trying to, to, to compete if that makes sense but but yeah I mean going back to your uh, other question there um, I think the biggest thing how we developed as leaders um, and characteristics as we were as people um, essentially we saw Terry and Brock and especially Dale Johns Doc is his nickname um I don't even know if you can call it a nickname anymore. That's literally just his name. Everyone calls him Doc. It's a sign um, of a good nickname. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, the doctor. Yeah, he's he's like, to me, he is my favorite coach I've ever had by far. Um, he is, a lot of people don't notice or know him, like know him as much. Um, like Brock played and is a big guy, a big national team guy. Terry obviously is one of the, most known volleyball people in the volleyball world and like very much so like all of his credentials and whatnot. Um, but doc had been with Terry for, for like 20 years and stuff like that. And, and he's still there too. He's still there with Brock on the bench now. Um, and we just kind of saw those guys go to work. I mean, they're so competitive. They cared so much about, um, about the game and about the team. Um, they did their due diligence and, never came unprepared and uh we just knew we what we wanted to do was to win a championship every year 
And so to me, that's kind of what was instilled into me was that every day you got to go in and I mean, you hear all these stories about like Michael Jordan and Kobe and all these guys, like how much work they put in, but these guys are putting in a ton of work too. And, and it's kind of weared off on us. Um, and then I'd say the biggest thing, um, for Terry was that he made these, uh, leadership groups, um, with the team, um, and each kind of core group that comes in, they, he does a, a meeting with them every monthish, where you go over this kind of this, not necessarily a textbook, but this printout of, um, some research from, from the States and a little bit of a course kind of thing. And you sit around and you talk about it you talk about what kind of leader you are, your strengths, your weaknesses, how you can bring people along, you know, lead by example, guys, uh, vocal leaders, um, all that kind of stuff. And we really started to drive home that leadership stuff. And, um, I loved it. I love that side of sport. And so I ate that up and, uh, that's kind of where that whole leadership group came from. And probably where we developed is that he delegated a lot of the tasks and stuff to us. Um, like the planning of social stuff and even some things of practice and warm ups and that kind of stuff, you delegate it to the leadership group. Um, so it's really developed that internal culture, um, that internal drive. So it's not just like a coach telling you what to do all the time. Um, and that's probably the biggest thing I appreciated is that, especially from the younger guys, they probably were a lot more receptive to the teammates instead of just a coach kind of telling you what to do all the time so um yeah i'd say that's probably what developed us most awesome yeah thanks for sharing that uh, i just want to circle back just one more time to you talk about competition and practice so can you give us a, an actual example that maybe if a coach is listening and they want to steal some ideas so was it the drill design that made it really good was it the matchups that coaches are making sure that so-and-so is across the net from so-and-so in this rotation um is it because you guys felt valued that when you were like the newcomers that you just wanted to make life difficult for them and everybody's trying to win a championship like are spots on the line that if i if i perform on wednesday do i get a chance on saturday like what were all the little things that went into making wednesday and thursday such a fight yeah that's a good question i mean i think that to me it comes back to again is that uh player leadership um and i think that's fostered by some really strong leaders on your b side um, that want to really, you know, that just kind of understand the team aspect more than the self and the, the selfishness of, of you just caring about playing time. Um, we, to be honest with you, like, to be honest with you, like, especially with those U of A teams, like, Terry did not switch the starters very much. Um, that's kind of a, and some, some coaches have different strategies, some work, some don't. Um, obviously, Terry's worked because of how many championships we've won, but, um, but like he kind of kept the, the starters um, on on that side. Obviously, we keep sub in if needed, and of, of course. But um, I've played for other coaches where you make one mistake, you're out. Um, but he, you know, he had that theory of, of building confidence in his starters. So to be honest, it's kind of interesting that you bring that up because like we were on the second B side, and like we were like, well, if anything, something's got to go pretty wrong for us to be starting. <laughs> <laughs> So, like, we kind of, that's kind of what we had was that those Wednesday and Thursday practices. Um, 
and then again Doc, um, <clears throat> Doc and, and Brock, um, and the big one actually in that year was uh, was Brad Pawlowski, um, the GMAC coach right now. Um, he was he was a big part of that team too, and uh, they did a really good job of of like the assistant coaches of talking to us because they knew that we were the future, the guys that were growing up. Um, so they did a really good job of like chatting with us and talking to us individually and making relationships with us um, and kind of keeping us motivated there. And then Terry could kind of make sure you watched um, the kind of the practice as a whole um, and focus on those guys that are going to be starting and the guy in those tactics and that sort of stuff. So it's kind of a good delegation, a good role there that we were never really, I think that's an error that a lot of coaches make sometimes um, is they just kind of focus uh, maybe, maybe don't have, they don't have the support of the assistant coaches, but they kind of focus on, um, like, on just the starters, and then you get a lot of dissatisfaction from the bench guys because no one really talks to them, no one really tries to get them to improve, to improve or anything like that. But we always had guys that um, would come and talk to us too. Was just the one side, so it was still motivating to get better. Nice. And is there anything you kind of prided yourself when you were a leader on the squad and you were the vet that when uh, some competitive guys, like I got to watch Reed May develop here in Ontario and pretty lucky to know him, but he's a, he's a strong personality and you got to be on squads with like Riley Barnes and John Gorenson, who I imagine if they're on court personalities, anything like their off court personality, there's some tough guys there too. Right. So when you're kind of going up the ranks, what's it like when the, the younger guys underneath you are, are these, these winners and these champions who kind of want to push things and maybe take over a leadership in their first, second, third year. Right. Yeah, no, I mean, it's it's so awesome to see those guys where they are now, and uh, especially when they're in their fourth and fifth year. That was kind of the the goosebumps moments when you see them as leaders um, when they came up, and and you remember them when they're eighteen coming into the program. Especially like especially like all those guys you named, like Brett, John, Riley, Reed, uh, Ryan Nickafor is a big one too, and those guys are all all young guys coming in and then you see them when you're done and you see them playing and they're, they're the fourth, fifth years. So to me, that's, that's kind of what being a leader is all about is that if you can instill some leadership qualities and, and help those guys out as much as you can, so they can share that with, um, with the people that come in once they're older. Um, it's just kind of that legacy piece. I feel like having foresight on that is a strength of ours and, knowing that lead by example is the number one um, for leadership to me. Um, you have to be able to do what you ask and do what you tell other people and, um, and help them out through the through along that way. So I think that was kind of the cool part is just leaving a legacy where, you know, people told people taught you when you're the young guy how to be and um, you agree with it or disagree with it and you kind of reshape it and see what you can do with the younger guys. So, um, just hope hope to have um, them do the same thing for when they're older. Now, U of A has kind of earned uh, a very good reputation for setting. I mean, when we had Brock on, he mentioned his masters and all the detail he went into just about the setting position. So how do you think you developed as a player being under that program? And then uh, shortly after, at the start of your career, a guy like Brett Walsh steps in, who will be a national team setter for hopefully a long time, right? So what was your own development like? And then what was it like when he got there and you guys are kind of pushing each other and challenging each other in practices? 
Yeah, we've also had a, uh, we, or sorry, we've always had a pretty cool setting culture at U of A. Um, and it started well before, yeah, well before me. Like, I mean, um, like Brock's years and like Brock and then Brock Pehar too. I mean, there was strong setting um, before them as well. But um, like we can go all the way back down, right, to like Doug Bruce and stuff. Um, but the the cool thing that I found when I came in was there was like kind of like a network and like a um, it was like a just the setters were really open to, to chatting with you and helping you out. Um, alumni was pretty pretty cool. Like just having guys that have played and are more than happy to um, share their experiences. Like the for me, the big example was Brock and also. Um, Mike Duraco. So Brock was assistant coach when I was there. So he was basically my setting coach. Um, well, any all the setters coaching, and and uh, the year before that was was Brad Pops, and Pops took care of us and um, taught us all that stuff in my second year, and then we got Brock in my third, fourth, um, slash fifth. Um, so it was just kind of like the knowledge was just like you just got to sponge it up, and yeah, there was so much knowledge around you, like Terry set too, and. Um, it was just kind of a bit of a culture of like trying to develop them and, and reaching out. Like I remember even in three or four years, I, I talked to Mike Duraco all the time, just kind of seeing what he saw and kind of picking his brain. Um, and I didn't even play with him, um, but he was still there and happy to help. He's a good guy. So that was just, that was cool. I mean, that's, that's, you can have some, some players have a coach that didn't necessarily set and they kind of just get one sense of feedback. Um, but we had so many different people that's with those around the game that watched the game that gave us advice. So that was huge for growing. Um, yeah. And then the Brad saga. So basically, um, I knew, I've known Brad for forever, um, both being from Calgary. Um, and, uh, we actually started in club together. Um, he was 15. He's probably actually like his age. He's in U15, but he's probably 14 years old. Um, and I was in my U18 year. And we had in, at Canuck, and uh, we had a um, our the other setter on my U18 club team um, dropped out like right before the season started. Um, so we couldn't really have a second setter. So we decided to, to rotate the three setters on the U16 team. Um, for every tournament, like in every practice, they just kind of cycle in and be our other setter on that team. And so that's kind of where it all started. So um, we had three tournaments and provincials, I think. So each of, them, each of the younger setters came out for one tournament, and then Brett did two. He did a tournament down in provincials, I think. Um, and the other setter was Milan. Um, he was an awesome player at UBC. Um, and Brian Pridgen was the other one. Um, yeah, but we had three great U16 setters, well, Brett being basically 14 years old, um, and them coming up um, and ta- and helping us with those tournaments. So we had 14-year-old Brett staying in a hotel with me, um, being 17. And so, um, yeah, like the, the phenom and everyone, he was already making a name for himself. And he was a little kid coming up and hanging out with us at the, at the tournaments. So, like, I already started to get pretty close with him and, and chat with him then. And I remember, I remember, uh, we were in our, 
Namibian Provincials. Um, and we were playing our last pool play game against the worst team. Um, and, uh, and they're like, Hey, Jaren, like you take, take a break. Like we're going to put Brett in. And so Brett started that game and yeah, played great. And I remember like, I think it was, I wonder if it was Nigel at Briarcrest. Like I remember, but it was one of the coaches that, uh, came down and started like talking to our coach, club coaches, like a college coach. And he's like, Hey, like we haven't seen this kid before. Like he's really good. Like, what is he thinking about for next year? <laughs> And uh, Andy Hare, Phil Brown, our coaches were like, uh, yeah, I think he's going into grade eight next year. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, oh. So, yeah, so uh, mark, mark him down for three years from now, and uh, we'll chat then. Um, I remember that story well. <laughs> yeah, Brett was already psyched. I'm like, hey, you just, we're all just like, just wait, buddy. You'll, uh, you'll get probably some some good offers also down the road but uh you should probably go to junior high first (laughs) it's kind of all started there um and then i knew that we needed like i knew that the the bears we needed another setter um with tanner leaving and me going into my third year um and so we actually had um brattstone's grade 12 year when i was in my third year so um uh, Tegan McGraw came in and sat uh, with me uh, in that third year. It was a, a unreal, amazing guy. Great relationship with him. Um, and then Brett, it was time for Brett to come. And obviously Rod, his dad, and Terry had played together. So um, we kind of figured, I remember doing Brett's recruiting trip. Yeah, doing Brett's recruiting trip and having him stay at our house and, um, and chatting with him, obviously trying to get him to come up with us. And yeah, so our fourth years happened. Uh, Brett joined the team. Yeah, was super athletic, um, great guy. Um, obviously, just was a first year setter, so like like all of us were, you know, a little raw. And the four, our fourth year was like our year. Yeah, like our thir- my third year was when we were kind of building um, a little bit and had a big turnover from the year before. But our fourth year was kind of our year where Trinity was finally not as good as we were like. <laughs> amazing team with uh with like you know steve marshall rudy verhoof mark howitson i think would have been on that team and like yeah, yeah howitson uh yeah like Dornball and then uh, lucas van burkle yeah all those guys who were unreal so that team was was awesome my third year and then they still had a strong team don't get me wrong in the fourth year in my fourth year um very good but that's that's the year that they struggled their setting um a little bit and they had to have a couple of different guys come in and set but yeah anyways so they so our fourth year was kind of the year that we were you know looking in the driver's seat a little bit and i I remember it was probably the yeah the biggest testing moment in my volleyball career for sure was we were playing really well we cruised through preseason we played the dino cup we were playing really well it was really good really really good and uh um, we went down to Laval to play in a preseason tournament, and because uh, we nationals was at Laval, so Terry always had us do a preseason tournament wherever nationals was. Yes, and uh, one of the Laval guys came onto the net, and I blew my ankle the week before the season would have started. And I thought it was hoping it wasn't going to be too bad, but it was super bad. I yeah, pretty much tore two of my ligaments, ligaments completely and the other one 90%. So it was basically as bad as you can get before you need to have surgery. So that was a huge, that was a huge disappointment for me. Um, but, uh, you know, as sport does, sport goes on. So you got to figure out a way. And 
And then, so then the next weekend, Brett was in and he started started the whole first half of the, of the year. And I think that's kind of when our bond like really strengthened was just me getting the opportunity to, to kind of help him. I mean, I, maybe in his head he thought he should start. I don't know, but <laughs> but uh, it was kind of like a, not thrown into it, but he was kind of forced into playing right away um, in his first couple months of the year of his career. And so we were kind of like we kind of te- tag teamed those games, which was really cool. Like we'd stay in the same hotel room at practice. We talk all the time, and I basically just was you know sitting on the on the, one of the boxes with my blown ankle and and just kind of talking him through and, and working together to, to get us to get to win these games. Um, and that's kind of how it, how it all developed was in timeouts, you know, it'd be kind of me and him talking on the side about what I saw from the bench and what he was seeing and stuff like that. And I mean, that's how I knew Brett was going to be unbelievable. I mean, he was just a sponge and he thought the game so well and he's such a amazing, respectful guy too, that he never once, you know, um, you know, he always listened to what I said, and he always was at the same time strong on what he thought as well. And it was just a real teamwork side of it that we worked together throughout those games, to, and we didn't lose a game all the way up until Christmas. So it was a really cool partnership uh, that was pretty special that you never, that's rare to see these days just because people get a little bit, you don't know if it's an ego thing or not, but. It's it's just pretty pretty special to have that in a friend and a teammate where you just like fully understand that the team's the most important and not necessarily yourself. So that dynamic got tested um, after Christmas when I came back and started playing again. And uh, obviously we 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 played that year. I got the nod again in that second half of the year um, to play with that team. And then we had uh, a couple of losses the game before playoffs which ended our undefeated season which was unfortunate but um those uh those bisons chris chris voth and and dane pishke those guys uh they got us at the end of the year there um which was a great team and yeah and then obviously that was probably the toughest moment in my volleyball career was that uh, that playoffs playing i played in the semifinal in canada west um we got upset by brandon which was a really, really disappointing game. Um, and then showed up to the bronze medal match. And the winner of the bronze medal match was the third seed internationals, like the last seed internationals. So it was the biggest game of the year. And uh, before the game, yeah, I got told that I wasn't starting anymore and Brett was in for the bronze. Uh, I had started the whole second half. So that was personally very tough. But, I, but like I mentioned, the that was the beauty of that year was I had total faith in Brett. Um, and I just wanted what was best for the team. It's not my decision. It's the coaching coach's decision. So I'll just kind of best support the way I could. We played awesome in the bronze and we won that bronze and made, and made it. So we made it to nationals. Yeah. So we went to nationals and then that was probably the most difficult game we've ever played was uh, playing Laval in the quarters at Laval front of like about 3,000 like screaming fans I remember I got subbed in to serve that game and I was back there then at the end line ready to spin serve and uh, there's a guy like screaming like right behind me like screaming in French like at me 
like right beside me and then he grabbed my jersey like as i was serving and uh so i'll never i'll never forget that i was like that's uh obviously the moment is wild but i love i love that i think that's amazing that's that's like what sports is all about is is having those people cheering and care that much that they're there and the ref have to like blow the whistle and be like all right chill man (laughs) i never heard about that much interaction i do remember speaking to one of the mac guys and they mentioned some of their out of system sets were on an audible call and they they mentioned they couldn't even hear each other right so they had to change how their offense was kind of running just because it was that loud where it's kind of one of those great debates is is does laval win that year if that tournament's not at laval right that's how loud and impactful the crowd was that year yeah oh totally those those fans are the best like they were so loud, man. Like it was, it was crazy. But, um, but it's such a great atmosphere. I mean, and Laval played unbelievable uh, that tournament. They won. That that's the one they won in the last. I think they're the only team in like 24 years to win that's not from Canton West. Mm-hmm. I mean, kudos to them, and the fans were, were a big part of that. So kudos to that as well. I mean, um, pretty cool situation. So, anyways, as you can tell, I'm a bit of a talker. So. No, no, this is great. Uh, I was hoping to pick your brain just on a couple setting drills, and the reason I ask is. Uh, Chris Tao, who's now in Ontario and played at U of T this year, he mentioned something that stood out to him when he got to U of A is he walks in the gym and all of a sudden Brock's yelling, hey, hey, find Chris, what color is his shirt wearing? And all of a sudden Brett Walsh is like green and had to do like a go set to the left side where well, Chris later asked, he's just like, what are you guys doing? And he goes, oh, we're, we're working on our eye discipline and then we're having a response to it. So if you were wearing black, I had to set back. If you were wearing anything but, I had to set like a go to the left side. And it was, Chris was just amazed that, uh, at some of the creativity that the setters were doing. So did you always enjoy the tactical part of setting or did you kind of grow into that when you were at u of a and you're doing all this creative stuff with the coaching staff oh man total total tactical setting nerd i love it (laughs) yeah that's uh oh big time that's that's what brock and i brock and i's minds are i mean i think that's why we're we're pretty good friends and and we're close especially with volleyball is our our mind like i mean obviously he knows way more about setting than i do but but like we all think similar uh, and very technical setters, which is why Brett and Brock were an incredible combo too. Because Brock is so technical, um, and Brett's such a feel setter, and just kind of seeing seeing things and reacting and not making any pre decisions, but just kind of you know feeling the moment. So that's why those that combo was unreal. I was much more on the spectrum of, of Brock, whereas I was very technical trying to get you know get get to a spot get in that hand motion and all that kind of stuff so that's kind of those drills there that's such a brock drill (laughs) (laughs) and uh i know as a as a coach you're just like damn i wish that i had a center like brett to work on that stuff with like you can't even get past step one sometimes (laughs) (laughs) and actually personally i had that moment this year um with uh, at state, I coach assistant coach at state um, the last three years, and I got and I got the great opportunity to set with Maddox Greaves and to coach him. So that is just it's pretty cool when you get those incredible feel athletic setters because your your coaching totally changes because you can skip three steps of the of what you're teaching to do drills like that where where you're rattling off colors. But Brock was always really really into those drills and and trying to find ways to improve you and and be a little unorthodox and i always appreciated that every single week we had time to work on that stuff and set amount of times to do those drills and we get to the point where you're doing the drill where pass comes the ball comes to you you look someone takes a step and you go the opposite way in the middle it got to a point where that was just not really 
yeah, it was like we were at the next step. So um, sounds like with Brett, they accelerated even further to do to do that. But we did we did drills like that similar all the time. I remember one drill with Brock um, was like Brock and I worked a ton on. My favorite is having um, like a sixty one. So you can dump, you have the 61, or you have the C-ball, so that, that overload. that was That's my favorite overload. I love that. And uh, I had Mitch Irvin on the other end of it, and like and Matt McCurry and Tristan Aubrey, like both 6'8 guys on the 60. So, I mean, I didn't have to do anything. Basically, they made me look good. But we worked on that a lot. And I remember one drill where we I get a toss tight, and then Brock would be standing on a box, and he'd either like shoot his arms out or like shoot his arms left or right. And I had to like decide if I was going to dump set of 60 or set C ball based off where his hands were. And like the first couple times we did it, it was sloppy. Like that's like not sure what to do, but that's just the kind of stuff that, that Brock would do with us is just trying to make that, um, in the second decision based off of what you can see. Um, and if you can do that as a setter, then you, you're pretty, you're pretty good to go. So with your coaching career and your playing career as well, how patient are you with the look? Because in name dropping another guest we had on the show, Derek Epp, it, it sounds like that guy sees everything and what he does and he's asking the libero for, like his look and the information he's able to pull, pull up is just amazing where, like you said, if, if you're working with a setter maybe at the 16U level that they don't even look, they're just trying to get their feet to the ball and make a good set. So how patient would you be? And I guess how important is this look and what would you maybe start with is just maybe seeing where the middle is standing or what are some little things that beginner setters could start to do? Because like I said, it seems that some guys see everything and some guys see nothing right so where would you start and how patient would you be that's a good question so to, the, the pretense to all that i would say right away is that you need to have good location and good technique and um that fault that falters from people from time to time because they like the idea of the look um but it, you can take a look for as long as you want but if you're changing your contact point and your ball is in the right spot it's useless so that's kind of where I would start is like kind of like you can't have that nice bike until you use the, you know, the training wheels. Like you have to make sure that you have someone um, that's with good technique um, that has, you know, a good contact point consistently and then that you can bring in the look. Um, and the way to start obviously is just the starting points with, the, with your blockers. So, you know, if a ball is kind of going into four and you're running over there and the ball's high, you get to that spot and then you take a look to see if the middle followed you, right? That's kind of the most simplest one. Uh, happens in club and the ACAC a lot um, where the middles will follow the ball. So that's a big one, right? Um, so you just kind of move them slightly or in and out and see if they're following you, if they're not, if they're staying neutral, and that kind of helps you decide on if you're doing the short set or the long set. Um, once, it, once it goes from there, I think that a lot of errors is how early people look to. Um, and to think that you actually have to move your eyes to the middle. Um, to me, the most effective looks are a little bit later before the, when the ball is kind of right getting to you and you're just using your peripherals. So, cause middles can start to play with you if you take a look at them and then you take your eye off of them and the ball comes like they can really, I mean, that's the higher level, like that's more pro sports stuff but to me it's yeah you can take a look to see where they set up but the big one to me is getting your feet fast and getting your ball to the, uh, your your body to the ball so that you can kind of have that that peripheral look to see if they've fallen you to see if the left side's fronting you as a setter in the front row if the 
if the other um, right side blocker is really stacked in to help with the 30 or if he's already taken off um, it's to me it's you start with a look but then you want to really get to where your peripherals are um, and that constant uh, contact point so you can really see what's all developing does this that make sense yeah no this is awesome i could pick your brain about setting all night but I, I am aware you've got other things to get to and we do have some other topics to get to but thank you so much for everything you've shared um one thing i wanted to circle back to is you mentioned even in 18 you 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 knew you wanted to play professional volleyball so at what point uh during your university career did you find an agent how was that process and then at what point did you start like looking for offers and kind of managing those because what we've learned by doing the show is it's, it's not as simple as you just hire an agent and they give you an offer right like countries are different some leagues are stronger than others might be a lifestyle thing of where you want to live that there's there's a lot of things for volleyball players to manage versus if you play hockey and you play in the chl and you get drafted and somebody owns your rights and like the path is kind of obvious yeah. for you right where volleyball it, it seems pretty wide open to some guys yeah, totally. So, I mean, the path that I took, um, which pretty much everybody did at my age, that was on the that was in the national team program. Was we we went into the full time training center. So I, I did a year at the at FTC after I graduated. So I moved, packed up, literally drove from Calgary to. Uh, um, Literally, yeah, I really drove from Calgary to Gatineau. We got stopped at the border, actually, doing that. And they're like, where are you guys going? And we're like, oh, we're going to Ottawa, like Gatineau. And they're like, why? We're like, oh, like, for work. And they're like, what do you do? And we're like, oh, we're going to play volleyball. And they're like, no, that can't. That's not, that's not a thing. <laughs> so, they, <laughs> so they pulled us into the, into the, uh, like, into the station. And they, like, brought us into a room. Uh, holding room and like took us out individually and they're like hey what are you guys actually doing here like you can't be driving like across the country to like play for a, like there's no there's no professional volleyball league or anything and anyway so we, we end up getting through it fine but they had to check our car and stuff uh, but once we yeah once we got there that was kind of our building year um, that's kind of what FCC was for back then um, back then it makes me sound like I'm old but I'm not um, but they kind of prepared you to go play pro so they talked you talked to a few agents while you're there they got you in shape they gave you good nutrition they got your skills up um practiced so much like a wild amount of practice and uh and that's kind of when we started talking to different players as well in the national program and what agents they have um i get a lot of questions from um from people now from athletes now that want to go play pro and and that's the biggest thing that I um, suggest is to network with the other athletes. I wish I did that more. I didn't do that very much. But I would ask anyone you know that's overseas um, what they did, who, what agent they have, how it went, if they're happy with it, and all that kind of stuff. What team they're on. Is the team looking for someone next year? Are they going back next year? Have they heard anything? Um, the volleyball community is unbelievable. Like, so such a great community that I could um, I mean you just brought it up I remember at the Vancouver uh, qualifier um, I, I met Derek Epp for the first time but he, we kind of knew who each other knew each other were right and like I wasn't all like oh standoffish like I was like you know if you need anything you let me know and we're kind of all in this together so I don't think think people realize that as much in the volleyball community sometimes so if they're looking to go play pro they got to go 
talk to anyone. And if you just send a random Facebook message to someone you probably haven't even met, um, and you're and this person's overseas, like there's a great chance that they'll respond and help you out. Um, and just you getting all that information of what the agents are and who what teams are going on will help you so much with getting contracts. Um, we kind of my group we kind of settled with the agent early um, and wasn't we weren't happy with our experience. I mean, he's a nice guy, but uh, we weren't as happy with our experience. And I wish I had done more research or reached out to people. And, and kind of the dream is to have one of your buddies that's overseas in Europe that's playing on a team that's moving on. And then you just kind of replace them or they know someone that you can go play for and then you don't even need an agent. Um, so, you know what I mean? Um, if you're big time, like, you know, like, like Brett and Riley were coming out, um, they got great agents and they kind of got approached by those agents and you need those guys to get you those big contracts and stuff like that. But, um, for me and for us in our years, we probably just should have networked and talked to more people overseas and tried to get it like early, like in like, you know, November, December to see if that team needed another foreigner or if any team in that league needed it, um, and kind of go from there. So with you, a guy who's played at the highest level, and I, I like how you made an old joke that you were one of the guys who still went to FDC. Like, what do you think has changed in Canadian volleyball? Where shortly after you guys like Riley Barnes and Stephen Marr are getting contracts right out of U Sports and going overseas, where that that wasn't the norm as little as maybe what five, six, seven years ago, right? So what do you think has changed for either the level in U Sports or maybe the reputation of Canadian volleyball? Yeah, it's been huge. I mean, the work that Glenn's put in and all those guys have done. Um, it's been huge. Uh, it's it was the Olympics um, when they qualified and and were playing well leading up to the Olympics. Um, that's when the, the whole world starts to see that Canada's a good volleyball. And then, like I think it was the year before the Olympics. Uh, yeah, you'd have to fact check me on this, but I think the year before the Olympics, when people start hearing that Canada was very good, like at nationals. Um, like the, one of the top agents from from Italy was like watch nationals, and that was like Riley's and Steve's year in that that McMaster, that nationals there. I think that was their last year. Yeah, um, that sounds right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's huge, um, and that's that's thanks to having such a strong program that Glenn's built to have like real-time agents coming down and watching a Canadian national championship. I mean, I can't imagine how many European agents would be doing that. Um, but now you'd be silly not to because we got some um, unbelievable players. I mean, look at the guys, you know, in the last couple of years that are going to the, um, that are still playing at some of our top schools. So that's kind of when it all started changing. And then it's kind of a very networking slippery slope. I mean, I had to I had to grind through contracts um, when I played, um, and then there was when I you know afterwards when I was when I stopped. Right now, there's some setters that just graduated university that are getting unbelievable contracts, and like not to sound too salty or anything, but like I mean I would like I would have to grind it for like three or four years to get the contract that they got right away. But the thing is, is that it's a total legitimate contract. Like they deserve that 100 percent and that's how good Canada volleyball is but we just didn't have that network or that reputation yet when i was when i was coming to coming out of university quite yet anyway or maybe not reputation but the, the networking or the contacts i guess mm. um just to circle back again so 
talking Calgary volleyball, it's interesting to hear about your upbringing and, and Brett and uh, with the Elser family and a whole bunch of people from Calgary. So what would you credit to the development there? Because it seems like per capita, Calgary might be the center for volleyball. Like even uh, I was coaching club last year, and I think the two Calgary teams were in the tier one semis of our 16-year boys division, which was pretty outstanding for a club to have two teams that strong, right? So um, what was it like growing up for you? And, and why has that continued that uh, boys volleyball and just volleyball in general is super strong in Calgary? Yeah, so we have... I wonder if it's going to be like this in the future, but we we have all the thanks um, is the national team program being Calgary, um, and then the Olympic years um, national team program, and so they stayed. So we have like an unbelievable culture of volleyball in Calgary. So like Don Saxon, you know, started the the volley dome, and they had that training facility, and then in came Rod Walsh, um, in came. You know, like the Elsers, the, the list goes on the Greaves, um, the, all these guys. So they're starting to have, their kids are all starting to come up. And then they have these volleyball minds that are in the club systems developing um, these players. And so it starts right when they're young. I mean, all these players are starting when they're, Brett was playing volleyball since he was like a child. And we all did. And that just kind of shows the development um, of, of a lot of these guys is, is that, that talk about old guys, <laughs> those guys, <laughs> those guys have been great and they're so involved, which is so amazing. Um, when they're all having these rock star kids that are coming up and, and playing with uh, the rest of their friends who's bringing them up as well. And I mean, the list goes on and on for all these great volleyball families. I've probably missed some and hopefully no one gets mad at me for them, but um <laughs> It's pretty cool to see these kids growing up and, and this volleyball culture that's that's been around for ever since I grew up from from the national team guys being here. So as an outsider, what I'm learning is that it makes perfect sense that you guys were the, the second site for what was the one volleyball premier league, which will now be the Canadian volleyball league this year. So how did you get involved with the CVL? And like I said, it just seems like a natural fit that if you're going to start a, a pro league in Canada, that Calgary needs to be a part of it. Yeah, so that that story goes, uh, I was overseas playing in Sweden, and, uh, um, well, before that, I guess, at U of A, I went to school with Jackie Ellis, um, and Jackie was a, was a year older than me on the Pandas, so I was with her for three years, um, and then she was over in Belgium, and I was over in Sweden. Um, and we had Christmas together and stuff. And I remember starting to like talk about this idea a little bit of, of trying to have a pro league in Canada. And I was like, love it. Like great idea. That's so cool. And then she, uh, yeah, she got with, uh, with Joe and they started to make it a reality. Um, and they did it in Toronto in their first year. And I was in Germany, uh, at that time playing my last year. Um, still talking to Jackie here and there. And then when I came back, that summer, it was their first year of running it, and Jackie was with Tennis Canada at the time, and she came to uh, Rogers Cup in Edmonton, and I was like, and I didn't have any, like, I just came back and was trying to figure out what my next step was, and she's like, yeah, like, we want to, like, probably expand this league, um, and we're thinking about having it in Calgary, and I was like, sign me up, man, like, I'm, I love it, I like, it's a great idea, it's such a hole right now, and in the volleyball development model and having adults have, you know, an elite way to play volleyball and 
and com- complete the community, especially with youth volleyball growing like crazy. Um, I was like, yeah, I want to be involved. I love it. Um, and Jack and George are such amazing people and so uh, ambitious and passionate about it. Like it was just an easy decision for me. Um, I'm just grateful that they entrusted me to to be the next um, for the first city um, to expand. Yeah, so not to put you on the spot here, but uh, if you were to sign up for this league and be drafted, you practice once a week, and then what night are your games? And I guess how many owners is the league up to? Is it four as well, similar to the Toronto one? So we have the exact same models. So it's four, four teams for guys, four teams for girls uh, in each city. So there's a total of eight owners in each city. And you get drafted to a team. Um, the season runs from May until July, end of July. And uh, some teams are different. Depends on availability. Um, you definitely have to practice at least once a week. And then you play your games on Thursday. And that's big news for us in Calgary because we've been on Mondays and Tuesdays um, the last two years. Um, but this year three, we're on Thursday nights. Um, so we're psyched for that. Nice. And what did you think of the Canadian Championship last year? Because you guys got to technically host it in, in the province, but it was in Edmonton as part of the beach event. But uh, how cool was that for our sport to see the, the league come together and have a Canadian Championship? Yeah, like that weekend was unreal. Man. I was like one of, one of my favorite weekends ever. Like um, we weren't really sure um, how it was going to go. or We didn't even know it was really going to happen until, you know, like a month leading up. And then, yeah, they gave us the green light. And Reed's dad, John, was unbelievable part of it. Like, help, like helped us a ton. Um, and we kind of had it tied in with the FIVB event, the beach event, um, through the three-star in Edmonton. And we were, like, their after party. So we, the game started at 9 p.m. Um, and it was after all of the late games finished off. Um, so, yeah, so it was really cool to see that happen. And... Uh, it was a blast, man. Like, we had one court. We had all the show going. We had a great webcast. And the coolest thing is we kind of hit our sweet spot for kind of our identity, I think. And we had just a great group of um, the volleyball community just just kind of having a fun time, having some beers, having music, dance music playing. We had, like, a standing beer garden on, on one whole side that was, like, full. And we just kind of had – a really fun time watching some volleyball and getting to see some friends um, and being real social. So um, we had some of the beach players come and like Melissa and Sarah chatted in between um, one of the sets. And that was really cool to have them involved too. We really appreciate that from them. So thanks Melissa and Sarah. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, we just went from there. I mean, um, that, like we had the after party on Saturday night as well. And, some of the beach players came to that and we had a lot of fun that night and it was just kind of a really cool vibe of of kind of like uh, in calgary we, we have it like the roughnecks the nll lacrosse team so they they kind of have a, a big social party and then the kind of lacrosse games going on and so for us that was perfect because if you like watching volleyball but you're also just there to, to hang out and be social with friends and develop that sense of community so that's kind of what we found at that Canada Cup, and that's what we're trying to use and, and mimic for um, for now. Awesome, awesome. So just once again, if somebody's interested in either joining the Calgary Toronto League, um, how do they sign up? I believe there's a combine or a way to be identified, and then you get selected into a draft. Um, kind of just walk us through one more time what the process is and any website or anything they should be looking into. 
Yeah, totally. So basically, um, we have our registration that's open right now, um, and you have up until May 1st to register. And uh, so you go online, you go to CanadianVolleyballLeague.com, or you can go to any of our social uh, channels uh, at One Volleyball. You can go there and go the links in our bio um, or on Facebook. Um, But it'll take you to CanadianVolleyballLeague.com, hit register, and then go through the sheet. And basically that'll get you into the, the showcase. Um, so basically you play, um, the owners take, owners and coaches take a look at you, uh, see you play. Um, and then we have a week later, we have our draft. So we'll sit around and and draft the players onto the team. Um, and then we'll have a big announcement and presentation and and a kind of a show. Um, and we'll see if you guys make the team or not. Amazing, amazing. We'll have to wrap this one up. I've taken a lot of your time. You're definitely going to have to be a returning guest, whether it's just we talk about setting for an hour or we talk about the league or anything else. But uh, one small tradition we've kind of got on the go here is just a funny story that volleyball's provided. I wanted to know if you had anything from either your pro days on the road or university or even if it's just a good Reed, Reed May story. Uh, if you have any funny stories, you can leave us before we let you go. Oh, man, I got, you'll have to have me back. I have a few, have a few good ones. Um, oh, Reed story. I didn't even think about that one. <laughs> of course, of course, I do. I don't think you'd let me say it though. Okay, yeah, I can. <laughs> we, we were talking about Canada Cup, um, and I remember the uh, after the final. Um, <laughs> it was a great story. We were so basically what happened was the game was played, and then afterwards they they shut down the court and put tarps out, and we just kind of had the beer gardens open for a little bit. And uh, afterwards, um, as part of the event, there was like shuttle buses um, from the gym back to the back to the bar. And so the Calgary team won. The Cold Garden Tropicals won the championship. So they all we all started to you know start to celebrate. And we went in, and the the girls went deep five sets. Um, so they just went straight on the you know had a couple of beers and went straight on the shuttle bus. So we roll into this bar in Edmonton and they're literally wearing all like, they haven't even changed out of their gym shoes. <laughs> and we're like rolling into the bar cause they're so happy cause they're celebrating. And so like the girls are like checking, coat checking their gym bags, um, like warm up shirts, like checking them. And, uh, and like Dallas, Dallas and uh, Curtis James, the coaches roll in and they coat check the ball cart with the balls in it. <laughs> and so the, like the guy, the coach checks like, what? He's like, yeah, I'll just take a ticket. Like, here, just, just check this for me. And so then we go in um, into the bar, and I like, have, have a great time. Everyone's kind of enjoying themselves. And then obviously we uh, start to file out at the end of the night. Um, they're getting their bags, all this kind of stuff. Um, but a, a bunch of us left and went to get some, like, donair, to get some after after bar eats um and we actually walked too fast and we lost um Dallas and Curtis so um they had to recheck the ball bin so they're like down they're going down Jasper Ave in the middle of downtown in Edmonton with like three girls bags in this ball bin like wheeling it down main street of Jasper walking back to the hotel like wheeling this ball bin down back to the hotel um, so that must have been an incredible sight to see at, at uh, the waking hours in the morning, seeing them going back. And then I remember my favorite part was we went to get some donairs, 
and the girls all had their like championship t-shirts like you know like you know when you win you get the hat and the championship t-shirt whatever and uh this guy that was probably just came from bar two was like kind of being like oh like hey like i like that shirt like i like your shirt a lot like to to uh to one of the girls to dallas's wife jamie tebow national team girls as well she's unreal and so she actually had won mvp of the game so we were so we were like oh like hey this is like the mvp and like this is a championship shirt he's like oh i really like want that shirt he's like can i have it and uh and jamie's like oh no like no like i just want it and we're like kind of started to barter with him like well hey it's worth a lot like it's the canadian volleyball league mvp right here (laughs) and uh (laughs) and jamie's like no like i don't i like the shirt like i earned it i want it and we're just like, I was like, it's whispering here. I'm like, I have like 20 more in our hotel room. Like, I just got them made. Like, it's all good. And so I paid 50 bucks for the shirt. And we got a Sharpie from the guy at this, at, like, behind the donate counter. And they signed it. And, like, Jamie signed it to this guy. <laughs> the shirt. And, like, held it up. And, like, I took his phone and I took a picture for him. Because um, he had a picture with her and, like, the signed shirt. And he was, like, so psyched and, like, so happy. And then, uh, yeah, and he just walked off. So somewhere in the world, there's a guy that has this shirt with the Canadian Volleyball League MVP wearing this signed shirt and has a picture. Um, and we went back to the hotel and then got her in the second shirt. So that was uh, probably one of the funniest stories of that of that weekend <laughs> after the championship game. That's when you know the league's just ready to take off when random people are asking for the shirts and then want a photo with the MVP. That's great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Uh, I know it took a little bit of coordinating to get you on the show. I appreciate your patience, and uh, I can see why you're so highly recommended. Those are some great stories, and we'll have to have you on because I feel like we're just touching the surface on some of that technical, tactical stuff that's always interesting with high-level setters. So thanks again, and we look forward to uh, not only following, but hopefully getting out to a bunch of Toronto games, and we'll see what happens with the the Calgary League and if a Canadian championship is in the works as well. So good luck with the, the CVL and everything else you got on the go. Yeah, that's awesome, Josh. Thanks so much for calling. And, uh, yeah, it was a blast, man. Definitely uh, let me know if you need some more more interviews. Awesome. Thanks, Darren. Okay, take care.